What does the unsaved preacher see when he reads the Bible? Notice what he says here about the unsaved preacher or teacher being able to comprehend, comprehend only the ethical teachings of scriptures is living proof of the truthfulness of the divine testimony. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He sees nothing of the glories of divine grace, the things of the Father, the things of Christ, the things of the Spirit, and things to come. He blindly ignores every dispensational division of the Word of God and is therefore free within himself to draw material from the kingdom teachings of Christ and from the law of Moses while constructing his world improvement sociological theories which he imposes on a Christ-rejecting world. Lewis Perry Chafer was one of the most gifted teachers I think that I've ever read. And he doesn't, you, he doesn't, he doesn't waste words. I mean, this here is a mouthful. And he really covers the problem that is happening today. And he says it in a fashion that I could only dream about saying. I mean, this guy was a great Bible teacher. But that's what's happening in the churches today across our great country today. All across this world, this mindset has been etched. In your seminaries, you've got people who are coming out of your seminaries with this same mindset. And so the Bible is not complicated, but they're making it complicated. Because in their minds, they think that they're so smart that they want to impose upon Scripture things that are not there. And they're confusing people left and right, and it's just really sad to see. And so that makes a big difference when you understand it. When we come back, and we've um, been talking, we've been in uh, several messages on glory and talking about the glory of God and how it relates to believers today. And this is a huge topic, and we've not even really gotten into it yet um, halfway. And so we've been talking about what glory is and the fact that you and I, as we see it and where we're headed is to 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we are being transformed from glory to glory, that we can manifest glory, we can glorify God in how we conduct ourselves, in the life that is seen out through us. And so we looked, we've been looking at the various members of the Godhead up to this point and how Glory was manifested uh, through them. And so the last person we looked at was the son. And so that was more talked about concerning the son and how he brings glory and how he was able to manifest glory than the father. And very little is said about the Holy Spirit. Have you realized that? If you look through and look through about the Holy Spirit, there's very little said about the glory of the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's interesting, but it's pretty consistent with what you see Scripture says, that the Holy Spirit was going to point back toward the son. And we're going to see it today. He didn't come to glorify himself. He came to glorify the Son. And there's only really one scripture where you see that uh, there's some manifestation of the glory of the Holy Spirit. And that's in First Peter. And we'll deal with that today. That's it. You don't see anything else with regard to glory and the Holy Spirit. Now we assume and we know that the Holy Spirit has the same manifestation of glory as the Father and the Son. Because he is deity. But he's not manifesting that in the way, and we don't see it as the way that the Father and the Son. But you're going to see that he's going to use believers, and he is really key to the believer being able to manifest glory. And we're going to see that, I mean, in the future. And so it's really interesting. You see the subservient role that the Holy Spirit takes to the other members of the Godhead, even with, this, with regard to this issue of manifestation of glory. He's not really trying to point to himself. And so that's the thing that's really interesting to see. But we saw that the son uh, manifested glory on Mount Sinai. He was in the tabernacle, remember? We saw that he was manifested in the temple. We saw it during his earthly ministry and the life that he lived. And that's what it's going to come down to, uh, that this glory is going to be manifested. And remember, you want to remember that there's different manifestations. And what is glory? I gave you this definition, and I gave, put it there again for you to see uh, in your bulletin, an estimate of what someone or something is based upon activity or appearance, sometimes represented by magnificent light, structures, or resources, and expressed at other times through magnificent conduct. Magnificent conduct. And so this estimate 
And sometimes you can see that estimate and what it, it, the depth of it and how it's seen in light. Right? We saw that with angels. We saw that with the second person of the Godhead. We know now that the sun dwells in light, unapproachable light. That that manifestation of, a, of glory is there. And so you couldn't approach him unto him today. If you were to see the sun today, you could not approach unto him in the state that we're in today. Uh, John says in 1 John chapter 3 that when he is manifest, we're going to be like him and we will see him as he is. Now think about that. Paul could not see him as he was on the road to Damascus, but at the rapture, because we're going to be changed and we're going to have glorified bodies, we'll be able to see him face to face. And we haven't seen that song lately, but the song face to face with Christ my Savior. We'll see him in all of his glory. You couldn't do that today. <clears throat> and so recently, so we've studied these things. And so we were going toward this manifestation of glory and how it affects you and I today. A lot of words talking about glory and you glorifying God. You and I have an opportunity to glorify God in how we conduct our routine manif- of life. We have an opportunity to glorify God in the fact that the son's life can be seen out in you and me today. And so hopefully we'll get there if the rapture doesn't occur. Uh, And then if the rapture occurs, I guess you won't really matter. right? (laughs) Uh, You might be curious and ask the Lord on the way up. What about that glory series? How did that end? (laughs) Maybe you might ask him. And then I don't think that you would be concerned about that at that point. But we'll, we'll see about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and what uh, the glory as it's manifested through the Holy Spirit. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we have the opportunity to participate in what you're doing on this earth. And we're thankful that when we see the, the whole of what you have written in your word, it's just an amazing thing to be able to see that you would use uh, frail, fragile human beings to be a part of your plan and purposes. And, and it's just an amazing thing to see and, and to be a part of. And so we're thankful that by faith we are able to operate and to trust in your plan and purposes and what you're doing. And thankful that we can glorify you and how we conduct our lives here on the earth. It's an amazing thing. And thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we'll look at that and uh, start with John chapter 16. And um, the Lord in the upper room discourse talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that the Holy Spirit was not on the earth, resident on the earth during the time of the Lord's earthly ministry. So we were talking about the difference between residency and indwelling this morning in our new memberships class. And you can see, uh, hopefully you know what the difference is, that uh, Residency means that he's manifesting his person here in a particular place. And right now, the Holy Spirit is on the earth, and he's going to be on the earth um, until the rapture. And then he's going to be taken away from the earth. And when he's taken away from the earth, it's, you know, you can strike up a rendition of nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Because <laughs> that's what it's going to be like. And they're going to be singing it quite often (laughs) when the Holy Spirit is taken away. But the Lord is looking on the other side of it when the Holy Spirit was going to come. And we'll pick it up in uh, John chapter 16. And let's start, if we would, if uh, in verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. Now, this is very significant. The Holy Spirit is not yet on the earth. Now, hold your finger there, and I just want to turn to 14 and just show you something in 14. uh, That the Holy Spirit was not on the earth at this time, uh, but that there was an anticipation that the Holy Spirit would come. Now, notice in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, he's talking about the disciples, the things that, they, that he said unto them. Some of these things went right over their head. And you can see it in Luke chapter 18, right? He told them that he was going to die, be buried and raised again. And what did it say? They said, oh, yeah, we got this. 
No, it said they understood none of these things. Well, let me show you. Look at Luke chapter 18, and you'll see that they couldn't understand these things. And, and it was because of the Holy Spirit had not yet come. And we can show you that, that the Holy Spirit had not yet come. And so it was impossible for them to understand a lot of things. Notice in verse 31 of Luke chapter 18. Then he took unto him the twelve, and he said, uh, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, he shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And notice there is, and in verse 33, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And on the third day he shall rise again. And notice they said, whoa, yes, let's go for it, right? Notice verse 34. They, and they understood none of these things. Now, if you told somebody about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ today, and they said that they understood none of these things, you'd think, oh, this guy's probably unsaved. But they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things that were spoken. They understood nothing. It was just over their head what he was talking about. And so we understand that um, part of this, in, uh, as you read Peter as an example, when he talks about the Mount of Transfiguration, he's able to put it together now, right? He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty on the mount. Well, he didn't understand that at the time, you see. But the Holy Spirit helped him. But as we go back to 16, stop at John chapter 7. And I just want to show you that the Holy Spirit was not resident on earth at that time. And the Holy Spirit's role in the decree is that when he came uh, for this dispensation, that he had his specific ministry uh, to accomplish. And it had not yet started. And so notice in John chapter uh, 7, verse 37, in the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he, I just love when scripture interprets scripture. And so we don't even have to guess here why he said this. But this spake he of the spirit which they which that believed on him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Isn't it? So there's a lot of things that you would not understand in um, the Gospels if you did not understand pneumatology. And so this idea of believing that it's all the same and it's all um, Piled up the same, and they had the same thing that we had. If you have that ideal and that attitude, you're going to be confused about Scripture. And I don't think you could ever understand it. I really don't. When you try to pile everything together and make God do everything at the same time for every group of people, you're confusing what God has said. And you're going to be confused. And there are many confused people today. Because they want to make Scripture say what they wanted to say. Now, going back to John chapter 16, you see it. You anticipated that the Holy Spirit was coming. Now, notice you see it in uh, verse seven, uh, 7. So it says, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove. That word reprove, well, if I can get it out, reprove is to convince someone to expose or to, uh, some would translate it, cross-examine you, the unsaved man. And this is how the unsaved are saved. This is how they're saved. And I know we can come up with all the nice little gimmicks to get people saved, and the the church has done this. But nobody's going to be saved unless the Holy Spirit convicts them. And so notice he says, he will convict and when he has come, he will reprove the world of three things, of sin, singular, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And you know, Satan has already been judged. It's just that his execution, his uh, 
the uh, execution of his sentence is yet to be to occur. He's already been judged. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, how be it when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Notice in verse 14, and he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. And so here we see the Holy Spirit has a specific role in this dispensation. I like to say plan and purposes. My wife asked me, why do you keep saying that? Okay, I'm going to tell you why do I keep using that term, because when I was a kid, no one ever put it all together for me. It was like it was isolated little tidbits. I will die, and you can put this on my, my uh, little tombstone if I have one, uh, God's plan and purposes. <laughs> Pulling it together, there is a coherent thing that God is doing. It's not isolated little things. There is a coherent, there is a coherent plan that he's operating by. And so um, when you understand that, it makes the Bible easier to understand. It's not willy-nilly. He's not just deciding to do one thing here and one thing there. That there's a coherent plan that he's operating by. And when you understand that, it, it really matters. Just one second, I just want to show you here in Second Thessalonians. And so we're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Here you will see the departure of the Holy Spirit. In Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, and verse, uh, let's start with verse 1 and we'll read down through here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or by, uh, be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as if the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a Falling away first, and that falling away first, actually, it's the way that it's translated there. You can actually say, it shall not come except there be the departure. The departure. Now, a lot of people have said that that's apostasy from the word, but when you look at that and you study it, I believe it's talking about another way of saying the rapture. Okay, you don't want to say the rapture? Let's just say we're waiting for the departure. And I think that would be good to do. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself, and is, that is called God, or is worshipped so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not, when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity, or really you can say the mystery of lawlessness. So Paul's revealing a mystery here. And what is the mystery? The mystery concerning lawlessness. And what is it? He's going to tell you. Does already work, or really is already being energized. Only he who now, is that word letteth, I would say, restrains, will restrain <clears throat> until he's taken out of the way. So here you have another thing that you see the Holy Spirit doing. The Holy Spirit is restraining something. And what is he restraining? Well, in this context, you'll see he's restraining the man of lawlessness from coming onto the scenes. But here you see he's on the earth. He's going to be taken out of the way. And for the first time, there's not going to be any member of the Godhead on the earth. And so you have to see the Holy Spirit coming in, in, uh, in the anticipation in John 6. And then you see him taken out of the way. And notice when he's taken out of the way in verse 8, you'll see the results of it. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And so you see the Holy Spirit coming, the anticipation that he's coming. He comes and he's here on the earth doing his dispensation. And what is he doing? One of the things that you see that he's not trying to glorify himself and starting with verse 14 of uh, chapter 16, he says, uh, 
his purpose is, uh, is no, actually in verse 13. Howbeit, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, this word for guide is the word hadegeo, uh, to show the way. He will show the way into all truth. Now, this word is actually used, a good illustration of it. Look in Acts chapter 13, uh, Acts chapter 8, 31. And it's used of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And he asked Philip the question about being a guide or needing a guide. And you see it used that way in Acts chapter 8 and verse 31. Start with verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except a man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And so here's the promise and the expectation that the Holy Spirit would be a guide for the disciples, that he would guide them. And what would he guide them into? He says he will guide them into all truth. And really, what actually said articular there, and I would say all the truth. Now, when you go back in John, and let's just go back in John chapter 16, and we'll work our way back. This articular form of the truth is used quite a bit in the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 16, you see it in verse 7. Uh, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And then you go back into verse 8, or John 8, and you see it several times. John chapter 8. Now, I think this is a general form of the fact of the, the way things really are. There's a body of doctrine and, that tells you how things really operate, what's really true. So we were talking about earlier about what's happening with the unsafe world. They don't understand. They operate by things that are not true. I was talking to one of the uh, uh, higher-ups with FedEx, who happens to be a friend of mine when we were in Dallas, and we were talking about one of the things that they started with FedEx, and you could see, just having been a courier, well, this won't last long. And sure enough, two years later, they're getting rid of it. Now, they say spent a lot of money, all kinds of money, on a project that if they just ask any courier on the street, they'd have been able to tell them it ain't going to work. This is stupid. Well, they just found out that it's stupid. And so they've wasted a lot of money. Now they're having to lay off people because they made a stupid decision. And so you have this operating in the world. The world is making decisions about things that are not true. They're operating by things that are not true. You could tell an unsafe person, hey, you're I wouldn't do this if I were you. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. That's stupid. Okay. Well, notice in John chapter 8, and I think that this idea of this, the truth is actually you have a specific part that talks about how to overcome your sin nature, but I think it's much bigger than that. I think it talks about the way things really operate in this life, what's really real. And people are not being told that. that they're being deceived. And so notice in John chapter 8, you see it in uh, verse 32. <clears throat> verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so if you go to Portland, Oregon, downtown courthouse, this verse is right up there on the courthouse in downtown Oregon. You ever seen that? It's right up there. I've always thought when I went to Portland, now how did this scripture get up here in this place? They may have scratched it out by now. I'm sure Antifa may have tried to get rid of it. <laughs> but it's right there on the courthouse in downtown Portland. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they answered him, We be of Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides in the house, I mean, abides forever. And if the son, therefore, shall make you free, 
you shall be free indeed. Now, I think this truth here is talking about the body of doctrine that will teach people how to overcome their sin nature. Because he's talking about it here. This is the context. They were slaves to the sin nature. They didn't know how to be free from that. And God says, there's, the Lord says, there's coming a day when you will know the truth and it shall set you free. Free from what? They're thinking he's talking about physical bondage. He's not talking about physical bondage. Do you know physical bondage probably would be better than spiritual bondage? There are people who are in spiritual bondage, and from what I'm seeing and I look at, it seems like it's worse than physical bondage. Because they're destroying themselves. And so notice you read on, and in 40 you see it again, and he goes down and he's going to talk about something that Satan understood as what was true. Now notice, but now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth. I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. And so it's just really interesting here as the Lord is pointing to them. You have these religious leaders. And you see in Luke, he says that you've placed your traditions over the word of God. And. You know, I have to think today, isn't that happening in a lot of churches today? Tradition have supplanted the truth of God's word. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. Isn't this what happens when you're talking to people and they don't really have an answer? They start attacking you personally. We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. For you are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, you are desirously willing to do, I would say. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. This is why I think that the truth is bigger than that. That there is something that Satan was seeing back then that he saw was what the way things really were. And And I would suspect part of that was the fact that he was not what he thought he was. That God was greater. And he noticed he didn't abide in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, or really the lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And everywhere you see lying, you can believe that there's Satan. And I still stand by that Washington, D.C. is where he has his throne. (laughs) I still say that today. That's where, because you just see lying coming out of there ad nauseum. And wherever you see lying, you can believe that there's Satan. So notice this truth. Uh, And notice he says he will guide you into all the truth. And so the Holy Spirit was able to guide the disciples and by de facto us today as he illuminates us into seeing things the way that they really are. And you and I would not be able to see that if, if that weren't the case. Now notice his focus is not upon himself. He was to guide the disciples into the truth concerning the, uh, whatsoever things he had heard. And so this word for heard, the things that the Holy Spirit has heard verbalized in heaven, that he would be able to uh, guide the disciples concerning those things and things to come. And then notice in verse 14 what he says, chapter 16 and verse 14 of John He shall glorify me, for he will receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. The word glorify, again, is the future. It's looking at the future, active, indicative, in which he would express an opinion, indeed, or activity concerning the Son. And so you see this word for glorify, and it's used, and I say in activity or indeed. Notice, um, this word is used in John chapter 21. If you look over in John chapter 21, it's used of uh, how John was told how he would glorify 
uh, God, and it's in verse 19, uh, in dying. So we're going to see this, this idea of being able to glorify God, to bring glory to God. Notice the Holy Spirit was going to bring glory to the Son. You and I, we're going to see, is, are able to bring glory to the Son. And it's, it's not what you think. It, there's a multitude of ways in which we're going to see that we can bring glory to the Father. And a lot of it is going to not necessarily be because of good things. Here you see in an illustration, it's used of the fact that um, Peter was showed, shown how he would die. That his death was going to glorify God. So notice in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto you that when thou were young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou would. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch, stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou would not. This spake he, signifying what death he, talking about Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto, his, it said unto him, follow me. And if you know the interplay there between Peter and John and what was going on there, Peter, you know, there was a little uh, positioning. <laughs> and, you know, the Lord had uh, told uh, John to follow him. And, um, uh, and Peter said, well, what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? And what did the Lord say? What if I allow him to live until uh, I come? What is that to you? You follow me. And so you see here, Peter, church history tells us, died being crucified. And how was he crucified? Well, tradition has it that he was crucified upside down. But notice, he glorified God in how he died. And the way that he died. And so this idea of glorify, and so the basis of how the Holy Spirit would glorify the Son is through, he would receive of mine... And so they're looking at the future in which the Holy Spirit would receive for himself from what the Son had said, and he will proclaim it, or show it, that word show, he will proclaim it unto you. And in doing so, the Son was not trying to express his glory. He was expressing the glory, I mean, excuse me, the Holy Spirit was not expressing his glory. He was expressing the glory of the sun. He's pointing toward the sun. Now, I know that you've probably heard people who have prayed to the Holy Spirit. It kind of sounds like fingers on the chalkboard. We're not really praying even to the sun today. You realize that? It says in John 16, you've heard that uh, the way that you've prayed before, up to this point, you've prayed to me, Eritao, as an equal. But in the future, anything you will ask, you will ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. He will do it. And so prayer is not to go out to the Son. Prayer is not to go out to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to point toward the Son, to glorify the Son. Now, I think this is why you don't see a lot of information about the Holy Spirit with relationship to glory in the New Testament. Because that was his job in God's decree. The decree says that you're going to point toward the Son. Now, we don't understand this today because here you have three members of the Godhead and they take on this role for the outworking of the decree. The Father comes up with the plan. The Son makes it possible. The Holy Spirit is the one that is working it out. What do you see in America today? Nobody wants to take us up Syrian row. You have people on teams that are fighting with each other because they can't be the quarterback or they're not the star of the team. Right? And so the, the members of the Godhead had, had no problem with this. And so you don't see the Holy Spirit's not talking about with regard to his glory. Well, what would that look like today? Somebody would say, well, where's my glory? Why is my glory not talked about? Well, there's a lot of glory. He made a chart concerning the glory of the sun. Where's mine? Right? And notice, you only see this one place in 1 Peter where there's some relationship of the glory of the Holy Spirit. And notice how it works in 1 Peter chapter 4. 
Now, you know the context here is he's talking to these believers who were suffering as a result of persecution in Rome. I mean, this was just unbelievable suffering that they were going through. And if you read in the history books, I mean, you read about what these people were doing. This was just torturous. And so we understand that the Nero was burning Christians. Some of them he was using as lamps in his, in his backyard, burning them. This is just unbelievable suffering. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them that, you know, God chose you for this reason. This is not an accident that you were going through this. Why are you amazed by this strange thing as if about this suffering as if some strange thing is going on? And so notice what he says. He uh, he talks to them in the first few chapters about that. Well, let's go back. Look at chapter one and we'll make work our way back through here. Just some of the highlights here. And so notice he says you have this ideal. um, This elect actually uh, should go to these strangers in verse one. If you look at your interlinear elect actually is in verse one, not verse two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. And notice they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto uh, obedience and sprinkling of blood. Grace be to you and peace be multiplied. And so he's telling them, there's no accident here. You're placed in this situation. God knew it in eternity past that you would be in this situation. And you say, well, that doesn't matter to me. That doesn't make any difference. <laughs> it does make a difference. And notice he tells them again, and in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, he warns them about how to, to, um, to, um, to conduct themselves. In verse 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation or your habit of life honest, among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may buy your good works. We're going to be here. This is going to be fun. Notice you see one of our glory words here. That by your good works, which they behold, they see it. They will glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I believe because of the context here that he's talking about elect people that will see that. We're going to study that that day of visitation here. I think he's saying that in the group of people that see this, some of those people are elect. And I think it's going to affect them when they see believers suffering through what they're going through. And then in the third chapter. He goes on and he gives this admonition to wives and husbands. And then down in verse 15, he says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be willing, always be ready to give an answer. And there's our word for apologia, right? There's your apologetics right there. Notice he puts a preference on it. He limits it. To give an answer to every man that asks you. Right? For a reason uh, of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. And so the opportunity in this context to be able to give a defense. And most of the time, you know, you have these people who are going out there and they're apologetic geeks and they're giving this defense for the to people who have not really asked the question, nor do they care. They don't even beg the answer, <laughs> much less want to know what the question is. And so the opportunity of your life, and that's one of the things you'll see, and we'll see it for First Peter when we start looking at this glorify. You know what he's going to put an emphasis on? Your routine habit of life. That glorifying God, a big part of it, is how we conduct our habit of life. And so, you know, believers, and particularly in America, we have all these little things that we can do. First of all, we can talk. And it's like fingers on a chalkboard when you hear somebody say, I'm a Christian. And you look at what they're doing, and you say, oh, don't say that. (laughs) Or they get a bumper sticker. Right? Or they have a cross in their ear, or they're wearing it, or many of these other things. And you know the Peter... 
puts the emphasis upon glorifying God is our habit of life. It's how we conduct our habit of life. All of that speaks volumes. And so, what's that old axiom that somebody said? I can't hear what you're saying because of what I see you doing. And all Christians want to do is talk. Talk, 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 talk. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 4. So he gets in, in the first chapter, in the first of the chapter, he says, For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time is past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them in the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now notice, drop down in verse 12, and he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which has come to you, uh, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice insomuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now he goes into verse 14 and he says this. If you be reproached for the name of Christ. Now that if is what we would call a first class condition. And so I would really translate it since. And that's what they are being. Since you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of the glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, this is a really tough translation here. And if you see it, there's several words in here, if you notice, that are italicized. And so they are putting it in there to try to make it good for good translation. But we'll walk through it, and what, what we'll see is happening here, uh, and the way that that's translated. If you have an interlinear, you'll see that it actually translates it differently. Now, notice the word for reproach. Reproach is, uh, is a word that has the ideal to lambaste, to berate, or to speak against in a deservedly or undeserved manner. Now, nobody here has ever done this, I'm sure, so you probably don't understand what this is like. But I'm sure that you've heard people lambaste somebody, right? I know none of you good folks have done that, but you probably have seen examples on the Internet or TV or something like that, right? And it happens. People can do this to you. And what you will see here in this verse is that because of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of these believers, that some of them were manifesting this. And what was the result? People were responding to this in a negative way. It doesn't mean that just because you live out the character of Christ that people are going to say, oh, this is just so wonderful. I want to be like you. Did they do that to the Lord? He was manifesting this life outwardly. And what was their result? They wanted to kill him. And so the more that life is seen out, we'll see. It's not going to necessarily inspire um, People wanting to join you on it, it's actually to a lot of unsaved people repulsive. And what do they say? Well, you just think you're so good. You think you're better than everybody else. I have, what? I haven't said a word. What have I said? Well, you just think you're something, don't you? Notice this word is used a couple of times, uh, several times in the New Testament in Matthew eleven twenty. Um, it's used of the Lord in a, in a positive sense. So it's used in a positive and a negative sense. 
But let's look at these two examples. Look at Matthew eleven twenty. It's used in the positive sense of the Lord, in which the Lord began to lambaste the cities of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, Matthew eleven twenty. Now notice in eleven twenty. Um, go back a little bit in verse 20, 12. He says something very interesting in verse twelve. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, or from the heaven, suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Well, what is he talking about here? Well, you know what I would put here? John 6. Remember when he fed the 5,000 and the people started following him and they said they wanted to take him by force and make him king? Well, we could have a good thing going on. This guy could feed us forever. Right? They wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so notice, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is the Elias or Elijah which was to come. He that has hearers, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. And so this generation is talking about Israel as a race of people. That's what he's talking about. What do I liken this race of people or this generation? And notice in verse 17, and saying, we have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a devil. The son of man comes eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber. A friend of publicans and sinners. Have you ever noticed one of the defaults of people when you tell them the truth or you live it is all they can do is make up a lie. That's all they can do. And this really bothers people who are actually for truth because you know it's not true and you'd say, I can't let this stand. But there's times when people are just going to say things and it's just what it is. And look at what they said about the Lord. And notice what he says. But wisdom is justified of her children. Then he began to upbraid. The cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. Now this is really ironic. He did these miracles. And you would think that the miracles would have caused people to have a change of mind. But it didn't. People who are looking for miracles today. Miracles don't cause, necessarily cause people to have a change of mind. They don't. Well, if that would have been the case, why did he speak and have to lambaste the cities here of Tyre and Sidon? Or really, what did I say? Um, yeah, the cities. And it was Tyre and Sidon. And so this idea of to berate, and you see it in Matthew chapter 5, and it's promised to Israel uh, that, doing, that if they uh, lived under this new rule of life or the kingdom, that it wasn't going to mean that everybody was going to think well of them. What's, what's going to happen most of the time is that when you live, particularly today, you're going to see it as we live out God's quality of life and this dispensation of grace. It's not that everybody's going to say, oh, look at those wonderful Christians. Isn't it great what they're doing? No, I think you're going to get the opposite many times. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Blessed are ye, well, you have the, the Beatitudes, and here again in chapter 5 starts the Sermon on the Mount. And notice in verse 10, he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom from the heavens. Now note, kingdom from the heavens, that's significant. Verse 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, And say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This word for revile is our word from 1 Peter. They will berate you. They will lambaste you. They will speak evilly against you. And many today among believers can't handle it. They're talking about me. Look at what they're saying. It ain't true. And people can't handle that. 
But if you live out God's quality of life in this dispensation, you better believe it's going to happen to you. You're going to be berated. Well, they might not be berating you personally, but you could hear it on TV. This noise against the Christians is getting louder and louder. Why? Because the depravity of the world is sinking lower and lower. And you say, well, how did Nero come to do what he did to the Christians? All you have to do is create the right circumstance and to get people's mind in a certain direction. And don't be fooled. It can happen. And so this reproach, notice for the name of Christ back in 1 Peter 4.14, this name of Christ, really, I would translate that the character belonging to the one who is resurrected. Now, why is that important? Because I think that this is what's happening here. They're being reproached because they are actually living out God's quality of life as they live in this resurrected Christ. So I think that they're manifesting God's life and people are seeing it and what's on display is not appreciation. They're being reviled for it. And notice what he goes on to say, happy. Well, you know the word makarios, it can mean happy in certain situations. And you can be, I guess, happy here, but I would say really what you would probably want is joy. But when you say, someone says, bless you, I don't know, you guys are used to that, bless you, when somebody, bless you. <laughs> the word there is actually, be happy. It's this word, makarios, that's what you're saying. But really, it can actually mean to be blessed or to be well spoken of. To be well spoken of. And it's used that way in uh, several places in scripture of those who receive something that very few received. And also used that way of those who were under persecution. And so the suffering of the saints was proof of the presence of the glory of the spirit. So th- this is where I translate this. And um, it's, again, this is translated kind of interesting here. But I would translate it this way. So notice in verse 14, he says, um, in the second part of this, for the spirit of glory. Or really, I could say that the, um, this, I would say for or because the spirit are the one which is the glory. It's actually how you could translate that. Uh, it's a phrase used concerning the expression of the opinion of the Godhead which is here the Holy Spirit. And so it's talking about the one who is the glory, and now he's going to uh, uh, connect that to uh, this, the Holy Spirit in this, in this verse. The one who is the glory, which is the Holy Spirit, is actually what you have here is a, um, a Granville shark here, where he's connecting this glory and the Spirit as being one and the same. Um, and so notice... Uh, the one who is the glory uh, and the spirit uh, uh, are, um, and even the one belonging to the spirit is how you could translate that. And so the spirit of glory, the one which is the glory is a phrase used concerning the expression of an opinion about a Godhead and you've seen it used. It's this um, use of glory with an article in front of it and it's talking about the glory and I think it's re- the glory related to deity because uh, you see it used in John eleven four, and just, just look back there as a reminder, and then we'll see it used there. And now it's relating this glory to the Holy Spirit, is what I'm trying to say here. In John 11, now notice in verse 4. And when Jesus heard that he was sick, uh, when Jesus heard that, he, excuse me, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory. Of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified. So this term here and the way that it's used is actually the very same one that's used here of the Holy Spirit. And so it says, the one which is the glory, and now he's going to connect that phrase to the Spirit. And so, and I would say even, now it's translated, if you go back in 1 Peter um, 4, 1 Peter 4, 
and verse 14. Uh, now it translates, for the spirit of God and glory. And I, I wanted to try to get a different translation to put up here so you could see that. Couldn't find any that actually was good. And of God rested upon you already, I would say, the spirit, the one which is the glory, even uh, the one belonging to the spirit from God. It's really how I would translate that. And so what is the glory? That glory is connected to the spirit from God. Why? Because he's saying this glory rests upon you. And what is this glory and where did it come from? The spirit from God. The spirit belonging to God. And so, and so that's how you would uh, translate that. Notice, he rests upon you. Now, what is he talking about here? This glory is resting upon these believers who are actually manifesting some kind of life of the resurrected Christ, and they're being persecuted from it, uh, 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 for it. And he says, this glory that is from the Spirit of God, he rests upon you. And this word rest is actually the word it's a anapao, and it means to cause someone to experience physical or mental tranquility due to an absence of labor. Due to an absence of labor. And so you see this word for rest. And for example, look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. The Lord promised this to the nation of Israel. 1 Corinthians, I mean, excuse me, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Notice he says in verse 27, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? So this word for rest is this tranquility due to an absence of labor. And I think that you have spiritual believers here who are experiencing this rest from the Holy Spirit because of the fact of the life that they're living. And notice the key would be in First Peter 4.14, this Christ. Um, as it's mentioned in First Peter 4.14, that the, the relationship to Christ that the name of Christ is what they were being reproached for. I really, I wouldn't say name there, I would say the character of Christ. So they were manifesting God's character, Christ's character, as a result of living in their resurrected state, and they were being reproached for it. And the result of it, the spirit of, uh, or really the uh, glory of the spirit from God, was resting upon them. Now you have two things with this word upon. Um, it's used uh, sometimes uh, in scripture. You see it in Thessalonians of touching or to be over. <clears throat> As you see from scripture, pneumatology, the Holy Spirit actually is indwelling us today. But he's not talking about the spirit indwelling. He's talking about this rest. And I think that that's what he's dealing with. That This, this rest is dwelling or up on you or over you. And he's causing these believers, because of this relationship that they have to the Son, to be able to be at rest, even though they're being maligned because of living out God's character. And so this is the only place that you see uh, that remotely comes close to talking about the glory with relationship to the Holy Spirit. It's not really used any place else in the New Testament uh, or as you see it in the Old Testament. And so we've seen these different persons of the Godhead as it relates to glory. And so we saw the Father, we saw the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they are able to manifest glory. Now what we're going to see is how this glory relates to you and I. Is that that glory can be seen out in you and I in activity. And that we can manifest God's glory in what we do. And that, manif that manifestation of glory can also be seen out in how we conduct our life. As the Holy Spirit produces the Son's life in us. Sometimes it is not really anything that we do. It's the way that we carry our life. And it's not that, as somebody said once... 
They said, oh, you could tell the Christians because they smile. Well, no. We're going to see that what you, one of the things that you can tell that a believer is a believer and you can see that kind of glory is you can see God's life on display in activity as you see the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll see that, Lord willing, going forward. If the rapture occurs, then that's much better.